Right, so for the last couple of weeks, the first week, uh, just to give you a brief reminder, we talked about uh, the universal church and the local church, and we talked about the universal church being Big C, that's the church all around the world. Um, that's the church where pretty much on mostly on Sundays, but not necessarily, but most on Sundays, brothers and sisters around the world uh, are listening to a word, they're praying together, and they're worshipping together. And then, we talked, uh, and then we talked about the local church, and we d- subdivided that into two words uh, that Scripture uses, translators use uh, to translate into church, and that was ecclesia and koinonia, ecclesia and koinonia. Uh, and we, did, we uh, talked about those a little bit. Again, go back onto our website, have a look. If you weren't there, listen, catch up. Uh, last week, I talked, I was a bit, bit vulnerable, and, um, but I, I think necessarily so, to, um, I shared some of my story with you, my personal story with you, um, and I, I let, that led on to me talking about family, and that church should be, uh, should be about family, and that actually when we gather together, um, it should be more like a family reunion than a corporate gathering, corporate meeting. Wouldn't that be great for it to feel like a, a family reunion? Why don't we turn to the people that, you know, round about us now, just have a look, they're your family. Have a little look, have a little look, maybe you want to, they're your family, look at that, that's awkward, isn't it? Um, <laughs> remember I said to you that I used to go up to my nana's house, we used to have proper like Yorkshire, Yorkshire dinner, you know, like pudding, Yorkshire pudding first and mash, nothing else, and then you had everything else after that. Um, uh, and it was amazing, and I said that nobody else made uh, roast potatoes like my nana did. Uh, I don't know how she did it, but nobody's ever got them as crispy and as lovely as she did. Um, and, uh, and, and every year, so that would happen once a year on Boxing Day, and I'd have to remind the relatives who I am, because, oh, hasn't he grown? You know, <laughs> be like that. So, so look around, maybe somebody's grown, I don't know, around you. Oh, 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 something spiritual there. Oh. Maybe, maybe it'd be good if we can look around at our family and go, ooh, haven't you grown spiritually? Oh. Hey, by gum. It's God's own county for a reason, folks. Jesus had a Yorkshire accent. I'm going to go off on one. Right. We are the church week three. Okay. I'm kind of... Holding today, on, today's a bit challenging actually, today's going to might be a bit challenging for some of you, might not be, it's probably more challenging for those that aren't here, because uh, they're not here, um, it's going to be, um, I, I want to say, a bit, God's been saying the message you've got is serious, the message you've got is, is it, we're, not, we're not messing about as church, we're, we're not, this isn't in your notes, we're not, we're not messing about Church is serious business because we've got a serious agenda. That's to advance the kingdom of God. That's to take the, the, the knowledge of Jesus to all four corners of the earth and so that people move beyond knowledge of him and into a relationship with him. Thanks, Rizon. Great, mate. Follow Rizon's lead. Um, it's just a serious business. And it, okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go on because we've got time. Our faith, this is, this is what I'm basing today on, the, on this statement, our faith must be based on a personal relationship with Jesus. And again, I'm starting a little bit awkward in your notes, so you don't have to write anything down now. It must be based on a personal relationship with Jesus, but we can't do it alone. We must pursue genuine community with other believers. So today is about community. So we, we're, we're keeping in that kind of familial thing, but we're moving it into community. Rather than attending church on a come-and-go basis, 
we should strive to be connected to an authentic godly community. That's good, that. Why don't you turn now to Hebrews 10 from verse 19. So all turn to Hebrews 10 from verse 19 or spark up your Bible apps and turn to Hebrews 10, 19 because it's good to bring our Bibles to church. Yay! It's good to bring our Bibles to church. It's good to hear the Word of God and to read the Word of God together. So Hebrews 10, verse 19, and we're going to read 225. I'm going to do that in a bit. So I want you to just keep your thumb in it or bookmark it if you've got it on your iPad or your app or whatever, your smartphone. Let me just talk briefly about John Wesley, rather randomly. Um, John Wesley was a founder of what became the Methodist denomination. And I found out that originally this group was called the Holy Club. It was called the Holy Club. Um, and, and like Wesley, who formed this, this club, had become frustrated with some aspects of the Church of England. And, and they wanted to reform parts of it. And this club soon developed a nickname, the Methodist. So the Methodist Church, that's actually a nickname. And they were called the Methodists because they were really intentional and methodical about their passion for and the way they did evangelism and discipleship. They obviously felt the Church of England wasn't doing a very good job of that. And, and, and they thought they could go further and do more. And so they developed methodical ways of reaching out uh, uh, and, and doing discipleship. And the key to Methodism's early success in sharing the gospel effectively and winning people to Christ was actually small group community. Small group community. Wesley discovered that through trial and error, the most effective way to see unbelievers and, and, and new believers become effective Christians was to have them meet together weekly in small groups of fellow believers with whom they could have real-life accountability. Real-life accountability. John Wesley once said this, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You find nowhere in Scripture does it talk about doing this Christian thing on your own. But we live in a culture, a British culture, that in some ways champions individualism. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of that, but I can't right now. So think of an example in your head where it's, it's champions individualism. Well, yeah, it's all about me and it? it's all about me and my rights and what do I get? What can I get? What's, what's in it for me? Not very often is it, what's in it for us? What's in it for the larger community? What's in it for my neighbor, my friend? It's very selfish. And, and unfortunately, I think to a degree, that individualism has infected church too. I use that word quite deliberately, infected, because I don't think it's a good thing. Some of our brothers and sisters, they've emphasized personal relationship with God to the point that some will call themselves Christians, think that community Walking together in life-to-life -life accountability and encouragement is optional. They think that gathering together is optional. You begin to see I'm a, bit, I'm a bit serious now. Some of you aren't smiling anymore. This is what I think. This is what, I, this is what God's put on my heart to say this morning. Because I believe intentional Christian community 
is a non-negotiable. I think it's a non-negotiable part of being a healthy and effective believer. Rizon, can I get an amen? Thank you. All right, all right, amen. That's good. If we look at, if we look at church as just a place to show up on a Sunday morning, to make an appearance and to check off a box on church attendance, then we're actually missing real church. The Christian life, the Christian faith life, requires connecting to others in authentic community, not a come-and-go weekly practice. So let's read that Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25, and we'll, 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 I'll try and open it up this morning. I'm going to, I think I'm, what am I reading from? can't remember, NIV possibly. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Awesome. And let us consider how we must, may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I do recognize that was within a context and I'm pulling it out of that context slightly, but God is okay with that, I believe. So in the previous verses of this chapter, um, the writer of Hebrews is explained previously why the, the sacrifice of Jesus is, is enough for us to be cleansed and to be forgiven. Because Jesus was that perfect sacrifice, no other offering now needs to be made. Isn't that awesome? God has declared our sins and lawless acts. He will remember no more. Says that in verse 17. Sins and lawless acts, he will remember no more. They, they, are, they are gone. It's pretty amazing to think God can forget something. But there are sins are remembered no more. So from verse 19 to 22, the writer is saying, We have a newfound confidence to draw near to God without fear. Without fear. In the best family relationships, I would hope that you can draw towards your father and your mother without fear. For the first time in human history, humans can approach God's presence without fear of death. Which is a natural response of someone that's unholy being in the presence of something holy. We, because of Christ, are made holy. Where we're able now to be in God's presence. All because of what he did on the cross. From, from that moment, we now get to have unhindered community with God. Being fully known by him and being fully forgiven. That's good, isn't it? Not only can we draw near to God, it says. But we draw near to God together. We draw near to God together. Read it again if you don't believe what, what, what I've just said. 
We're in relationship now. As brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins and fathers and mothers. We're in a family. We're in a family because of Jesus' sacrifice. And as I emphasized last week, we're we're created to reflect the heavenly community of God, which is family. Think You get what I'm trying to push across here? And it's expressed in his church. And it's, it's, it's the preferred vehicle for kingdom advance. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, talking of vehicles, <laughs> let me illustrate something by using the analogy of a drive-in or a, a, or a, a drive-in theatre, as they call them in the States. Now, I've only ever seen these, ironically, in the movies. <laughs> I don't know if there's any in the UK. Is there one or two? There's one in York. Wow. Okay. Maybe I need to go to the one in York. But this morning, I'm kind of guessing what they're like. <laughs> I think, I bet they're a completely different experience. Who's been to a drive-in theatre then? Anybody been to a drive-in theatre? No. All right. I bet they feel like a completely different experience than, than watching a, a movie in a traditional cinema, don't you? Yeah. Uh, driving, it seems, from what I see in the movies, is you bring your own snacks. Some of you might do that anyway when you sneak them into the traditional cinema. Uh, you stay in your own car, don't you? Uh, and and you, you enjoy that film without even having to say excuse me to another person in order to get your seat. Uh, you could probably show up at the movie in your pyjamas if you wanted to. And no one would have to know. You've got the comfort and the convenience of a little privacy. Sounds like heaven to me. Um, sounds amazing. But what's my point? Maybe, maybe some Christians would love a driving option for church. Or in fact TV, or an online church. Don't touch anyone, don't talk to anyone, just, just watch the show in your pyjamas. And I know that for some people, that, that is better than nothing. I, I get that. Getting up and getting out, Going to be with the community believers is hard for some people, for various real reasons. And, and, and for those individuals and for those people, we need, to, we need to think, how can we keep those people connected? What, what do we need to do who are able? How can we keep those people connected? So we have a responsibility, don't we? But that is a rare scenario. It's not common. Um, and most of us can make it to church. And we can make it to a life group. On the whole, I think, I think on the whole, it's quite difficult to walk in relationship with people the way that God intends if we never get out of our car or, or leave our, our, our comfortable space. Some people avoid community because they don't realize how beneficial it is. They, they just don't know. They just haven't had the experience yet. They don't realize how powerful community can be, genuine, life, life-giving, encouraging community. They, they just don't know. And, and probably they avoid church for that reason because they just don't get that. They don't, they don't connect the two things because they've never experienced it. And maybe there are more reasons. Maybe at some point people have been hurt by other people. Probably, unfortunately, and disappointingly, even by people in the church. That's a shame, isn't it? 
I think people get hurt if you, if, you, if you treat our faith with legalism, if you treat it purely within church tradition. I, th I think if, if you generally do the thing that Christ asked us to do, which is the only law that he, he wants us to follow, which is to love people, then I'll f I think you'll find we'll hurt less people. Maybe, maybe some people don't want to risk that, that, that disappointment, that rejection, that pain again. And, and, and that it's, it's easy to remain distant, aloof. It's a good word, isn't it? Aloof. Sounds like something you wash yourself in the bath with. Unknown. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a false sense of safety in security. In, uh, sorry, in obscurity. So even if we connect with church, if we're that way inclined, we just want to slip in and slip out on a Sunday morning and keep ourselves to ourselves. Maybe it's not hurt caused by other people, but maybe... maybe, maybe Maybe we've got a sense of shame that, that we forget we don't need to keep hold of because we have a relationship with Jesus. But despite the shame that we, we feel we, we need to keep hold of, we, we keep up a good appearance and nobody has to find out about our rubbish. And thinking from that perspective, we, we find out we don't have to, we discover we don't have to find out anybody else's either. Real relationships, I wrote, can be messy. Real relationships are messy. Now, not all messiness is bad. I mean, you know, like watching kids play with jelly, it's pretty cool. And the kids enjoy getting it all over their faces. So maybe not all messiness is bad. It's just not in order. It's not one thing after the other. But sometimes messiness is not nice. Maybe a lot of the time it's not nice, and it is painful. But that's real relationship for you. Because we're genuinely connecting with one another. And when you genuinely connect with one another, you open up a vulnerable aspect of yourself. You can't help that. And if you're not vulnerable, then you've got to say to yourself, am I being genuine? Am I really opening myself up to having a relationship with someone that is much more than skin deep. It's tempting to avoid real relationships and to be satisfied with fake ones. Just saying a casual hello, uh, uh, you know, during the welcome like we did this morning at a Sunday service once a week. Maybe that's, maybe that's all that you find yourself doing. I don't know. But here's the thing, that's not community. That's not church. That's not family. Amen, Riz? Authentic relationships require knowing one another on a genuine level. And that includes, in the Christian context at least, having relationships with trustworthy believers who, who know our innermost struggles, know our innermost thoughts, and, and vice versa. Encouraging each other to become more like Jesus in real-life situations. Like, how would you handle this at work? How would you deal with this person at work? Help me out, help me understand, because I'm feeling hurt by that person at work. Yeah. Not just churchy stuff, but stuff in the world where you're engaging with non-believers. And, and, and if, 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 if we're to engage with other trustworthy believers, then, then we help one another handle those situations better, don't we? And um, what people will see in us then, they'll, they'll, they'll see us as God sees us through the finished work of Jesus. As we draw near to God together and give each other the grace 
God gives us, we'll be able to experience real community by drawing near to God with a sincere heart, as it says in verse 22. And, and, and that's the, the only way life change will happen. When I read Hebrews for myself and, and apply to my life, it says, it says that I've been washed with pure water. As, as I gave my life to Christ and as I was baptized into another life, new life. And, and, it, and if you've been baptized into a new life, then that's, Hebrews is applying to you too. So let's help each other as we learn how to live out in that relationship where it counts. Now from verse 23, let me, let me go through that. In this section of the text, the, the, the author of Hebrews is, is urging us, the readers, to hold fast. To, sorry, to hold fast. <laughs> just, just translating that for some of you. To hold fast. To, to not waver. And to not give up. In light of our newfound freedom through Jesus' blood... We're to be fully known, fully loved, and we are fully forgiven by God. We as believers have a responsibility to help each other do this thing called life. Because God is faithful, he keeps his promises to us. We've got to hold fast to our hope without wavering, as it says in verse 23. Because God is faithful to lovers, we mustn't give up on loving each other. Because God loves us, we mustn't give up on loving each other. Jumping the ship of our relationships at the first sign of trouble, challenge, or even the simple difference of opinion. We mustn't do that. See, not only should we choose to feel affection for one another, which I think is challenging, but we must also, it says, think of ways to motivate one another. The New Living Translation says that. And in the New American Standard, in the same verse, it said we should absolutely intentionally plot and plan and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Isn't that cool? I'll read it again, actually. We should absolutely intentionally plot and plan and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So that means, means we, we take time to think how... how how do I build my relationships? How do I, what, what do I need to do? And, and, and how, how can I help them? Lovingly, graciously. Become a more spiritually mature person. To become a better person. We have that responsibility to one another. To help each other become better people. Amen, Kath. Amen, Amen Rizal. I'm just going to build that up. So I'll get your say amen at the end. And of course, the writer warns believers not to be duped, duped, uses that word, into giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. The author of this letter, he's warning us not to get sucked into that deceptive habit. And missing church and church groups can become a habit. But actually, we've got to set a pattern of encouraging one another. 
So not the habit of missing church, the habit of not being part of a life group, the habit of not being involved in any other kind of group, that can become a habit. Actually, we've got to set in a pattern in our lives of being available to encourage one another. Amen, Amen, Paul. Because if we do that, we realize then how much we really need each other to walk our lives of faith. I'm going to give you a little illustration now. The devil tells us in Scripture that it's like, he's like a lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. And I want to show you a video now. I want to give you a graphic analogy of what life can be like if we move away from community. Now, if you're a little squeamish about seeing predators catch their prey, then you might want to look away for the next three minutes. Lions have great vision. The brightest sunshine won't blind them, and in low light, they can see six times better than humans. They can hear prey from a mile away, and their sense of smell is so keen, they can tell how recently the prey passed. Lions will take on prey more than twice their size. A full-grown zebra can weigh nearly half a ton. One kick from those hooves can break a lion's jaw. Lions are sprinters, not marathoners. They can hit 35 miles an hour, but only for a few seconds. So they team up, approaching their prey from different angles. Zebras learn to keep their distance, but one zebra is about to violate the first rule of the safari. Always stay with the group. The lion will go for the typical death blow, crushing the windpipe. while the team keeps their prey from getting away. Of all the world's cats, lions are the only social animal, especially at dinner time. After a kill is made, males always eat first, then the females. What's left goes to the cubs. Often not enough. Most will not survive into adulthood. Oh, 
Do I need to explain the analogy? That's how serious it is, folks. It's a great analogy. The devil is prowling around us like a lion, wanting to pick off those who are away from the herd, who are probably weak in their faith, who have not been connected and engaged and encouraged and stimulated and, and had somebody intentionally plot and plan to help them be a better version of themselves. Let's just leave that just soaking just for a minute. The voiceover guy in this video says, the first rule of safari is this, always stay with the group. Same rule, I think, applies to believers. If we become isolated, if we, we weaken ourselves, we become more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. If we choose to isolate ourselves, not only will we be missing out on the encouragement that comes from doing life together, but we'll very likely be robbing someone else the encouragement we could offer them. Now, we might isolate ourselves for a number of reasons. Perhaps we're tempted to stay away from church to avoid accountability and true community because of the mess of real relationships. Or perhaps our reason, maybe it can even be called an excuse, starts off innocently enough. We might just want to spend a family day at home to get a few things done. Sounds quite innocent, doesn't it? And in some ways, I get that. I do get that. But it can, and I do want to emphasize it's only a possibility, albeit a strong one, that it can quickly landslide into a dangerous habit of not just skipping out on a Sunday morning or life groups, but actually out of altogether avoiding that iron sharpening, iron kind of relationships that bring holiness, change, and victory into our daily lives. Have a look at Proverbs 27, verse 17. Check, check out what that says. My experience of over the last 11 years of leading a local church has shown me repeatedly that people step out, when they step out of the routine of doing church, doing church, their faith walk lessons and temptation takes over. Leading them down a path they may have previously not have chosen. And that isn't everyone, I admit that. I, I do, I completely get, get that. It's not everyone that I see that, but I've seen enough to make me take notice. And I, I've seen enough to make me concerned when I see patterns start to develop in people whom I love and care for. But there is good news. God is faithful. There's always a way back home. He understands that there's perseverance, a certain stick-to-itness that's required to do life with humans. God has he's had his own barriers to community with the human race. And yet the good news tells us that his patient perseverance went to all lengths to annihilate, annihilate those barriers at, at his great personal cost. Humanity, we've benefited immeasurably because of his enduring desire to draw near to us. If, if he'd left us on his own, we'd likely have no hope left on earth and much less for any kind of life in eternity. If we leave one another on our own, if we settle for superficial come-and-go church, we'll be missing community, and more importantly, missing the power of God that comes through it. Missing the power of God that comes through it. 
Some of us might admit to being attracted to the life of a desert monk, a person who just survives in isolation in some remote monastery, being, being holy all by their lonesome selves. And I'll admit to you, I'm tempted by that. I love my man cave. And, and, and I like to 100% switch off from everything and anyone. But I recognize that's not how I should live my life. Might be tempted by it, might want it, but doesn't mean it's good for me. I realize that my life is so much richer when I've got people who are walking on the same path as me. Because guess what, folks? It's relatively easy to be patient, loving, gentle, and kind when there are nobody else around. I used to work in retail. Shops look amazing without customers. But they wouldn't last very long, would they? When we're on our own, or even actually, even actually with a small group that thinks exactly like us, our assessment of our own holiness will probably skyrocket under such conditions. And I've been there, I've done that. And, and this is again, a ser- step out in seriousness once again. I believe that, that this expression, this way of doing church, gathering together corporately, in my opinion, and I think it's scripturally held up, is the best way of doing church. It's not the only thing we do, but committing to that weekly gathering like this is the best way of being part of church. And I say that because once upon a time I was very much attracted to home church or deconstructed church. We don't need leadership. We don't need, we don't need to take any kind of offering. We don't need to commit to stepping out in evangelism, stepping out to, to see other people come to faith, to talk about my faith with them. We can do that through friendship evangelism, which is fine. And, and, and I do get that friendship evangelism is, is a way of reaching people for Christ. I do get that, but that takes years. Maybe some people don't have years to hear about Jesus. Maybe somebody needs to hear about Jesus today because tomorrow isn't coming on earth. And personally, every deconstructed group that I've seen like that, they don't last. They deconstruct. They fail. Whoa, that was hard, wasn't it? Um, Our Christ-likeness, I think, is limited in those conditions. Because those, those kind of groups that I talked about, they all think the same. They all, they all, they all build, it's an echo chamber of your own thoughts. It's not iron sharpening iron. It's sponge touching sponge. It's really nice and cozy. Remember that God demonstrates community within himself, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And how much more should we need community, spiritual family to thrive? Our desire is to bring the culture of heaven to earth in a real and tangible way. And one of the ways we can do that and help each other is by listening to the encouragement of not giving up meeting together. We need each other. We've got to look for ways to encourage each other to to pursue righteousness, to keep running after our true inheritance as freed children of God, to spur one another on to that real life, those love and those good deeds. And at Freedom Church, we have life groups to help us 
to, to work out that purpose outside of a Sunday morning. And I believe we're going to have more life groups for more individuals in more parts of the city. Do you belong to one yet? I'm not asking you, don't stand your hand up. Don't do that. It's rhetorical. Don't fall prey to the habit of just showing up without knowing and truly being known. Join a life group, please. Um, if you're part of one, invite others to it. Maybe others who you see living a little bit dangerously. They might not even see that they're living dangerously. They might not even see that they're living in isolation. Get to know people and be encouraged to do life well. In some ways, I'd love it if our life groups had more people in it than we have on a local church on a Sunday. Because life groups tend to be an easier place for you to invite friends. Church is just a bit too much for some people. Into, you know, kind of meeting up on a Sunday. It might not be that. They're not there yet for that. That's a bit too... That maybe they've been hurt in the past or maybe they've never experienced it so they don't know what they're missing. And, and it's just a step too far. Life groups are an amazing opportunity to invite friends and family to that's low-key. And, and you, can, you can make those decisions to not get that deep at that moment when these new people are a part of you. Do you understand what I mean? They're an amazing opportunity. Get connected and if we have more people, it means in those life groups, it means we're reaching out, we're pulling in, we're being purposeful in our commission from Jesus to make disciples. We're bringing people into the safety of the herd, into the protective arms of Jesus. We truly are better together. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We our family and in this house that means we, we love, love.